Omicron's officially all over the United States. More confirmed cases of this new variant. Zoom wants to make it harder for you to sneak into a meeting late. And Alec Baldwin says he didn't pull the trigger on that gun that killed cinematographer Helena Hutchins. Friday need to know. Let's go. Good morning. This is Shedder's Need to Know podcast for Friday, December 3rd. I am Jill Wagner with Carlo Versano. Good morning, Carlo. Happy Friday, Jill. How are you today? How is everybody? I'm okay. I just wanted to uh, give some personal news here. I'm going on short-term leave starting on Monday. I'm not exactly sure for how long. It has been a rough few weeks for me. Uh, I'm not ready to talk publicly about what's going on, but I did want to mention it here because I do feel like we've built this incredible community, like a family, and and I don't want to just mm. disappear on everybody. Uh, I yeah. will say doing this podcast has been my favorite part of the day for a while, but in particular, a bright spot for me for the, the past month. So I'm really going to miss it. Um, and I will be listening, Carlo, and probably texting <laughs> and calling you to let you know what I think about everything. But um yeah, so starting Monday, I'm going to be out for a little bit. Well, thanks thanks for uh, for letting us know, Jill. And obviously, whatever you need, uh, you just ask, and we will we will stay in touch, of course. And I will be hoping for those texts and calls because I will, uh, you know, <laughs> you, you know how it, you know how it goes when it's me and Baker. We go off the rails. So I need you, I need mom sometimes to tell me, uh, you know, when things are getting a little too crazy and out of hand. So I'll be counting on you. But um, obviously, on a personal note, Jill. Um, I know you've been going through a lot, and I just want to say that, uh, you know, you've got my support as a friend and as a colleague, and whatever you need, I'm here for you. All right. Thank you, Carlo. I appreciate it. By, and by the way, sorry, just before I forget, because I've forgotten in the past and we haven't done it in a couple of weeks, YouTube today, watch party time, 9 a.m. Eastern time, uh, youtube.com slash cheddar now. Jill and I will be in that chat. You can talk. You can chat. We'll do love, hate, aid. Uh, tell us what's going on in your lives, 9 a.m. Eastern today. All right, let's get to some news here. President Biden says the government's winter strategy to fight the Omicron variant will not include lockdowns or the expansion of vaccine mandates and will focus instead on boosters and testing. More cases of the variant have been reported in the U.S., including a Minnesota man who recently traveled to New York City with an a- for an anime convention. New York Governor Kathy Hochul urging anyone who attended that event to get tested. Officials in the New York City metro area have now confirmed at least five cases, including one, um, Carlo, as well, here on Long Island. I believe there were about 50,000 people at that anime convention. Just hmm, wow, wow, really? I, I swear to you, if I get COVID because of an anime convention, I'm going to lose my mind. I'm going to be very upset at somebody. <laughs> uh, all of the, you know, here's the good news: all of the Omicron cases in the United States so far, at least among vaccinated people, appear to be mild. Again, so far, it is. Uh, it's too early to say. Still, I think, um, you know, COVID often starts mild and then it turns severe, which is why you see sort of the lag in the hospitalization rates. Um, but I don't know. I don't know about you. I don't know about anybody else. I, I feel a little bit better about this uh, at the end of the week here than I did at the beginning. I'm sort of cautiously optimistic that this is not going to be really a disaster. Um, but I, I don't know. I'm not really basing that on anything, just sort of like my gut. <laughs> um, I don't know how I feel. I sent you that article from the Israeli publication, Hire. It's yesterday. It said their infection that rate helps. in that, that country. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it actually has gone down slightly 
despite Omicron being present uh, in Israel. We're also hearing, as you mentioned, at least anecdotally, that many of the cases, especially in, in people who are vaccinated, have been relatively mild. So that's all very, very good news. Um, on the other hand, wah, wah, uh, have you mm-hmm. seen the graph with the increase in cases yeah. in South Africa. So, you know, we've all seen those graphs before where they're each surge, it kind of looks like a, a narrow hill. It goes up quick and it comes down quick. The line for this surge in South Africa, it's literally straight up. It's it's steeper than Delta. So to me, that's a little bit frightening, um, mm-hmm. especially given that here in the United States, a thousand people are still dying every single day because of COVID. Uh, we still have a ton of cases. Um, so mm-hmm. Which I don't are mostly know. Delta. I'm feeling, I'm feeling a little bit better though, that the vaccines are going to be at least somewhat effective here. Yeah. I do think by now we would have seen, we would have known if the vaccines were like totally null and void against this thing and they don't appear to be, um, which of course is just, you know, it, good news all around. One other important potential change involving that the Biden administration announced, this one involves kids in schools. So right now, if somebody is exposed, a kid is exposed, they have to quarantine for 14 days. So that is extremely mm-hmm. disruptive, not only to students um, and their education, but to the parents. So the sure. CDC is now looking at a different policy of test and stay, where exposed students would be able to stay in school wear masks, and then test repeatedly in the days following exposure to identify and contain infection. So I think that that's that's smart. As long as this is actually done, I think anything to keep kids in school is is hugely important. Yeah, no question. I think we're finally Um, starting to get— In Washington, a government shutdown was avert—I'm sorry, what, Carlo? No, I just think—I was just going to say, I think we're finally starting to, like, get some religion on the schools issue and just how um, horrible and, you know, know, the effects of all of those school shutdowns. And I think that, yeah, you know, because, again, an exposure doesn't mean that you're positive, right? So you should be able to stay in and just keep testing, keep testing, keep testing, because testing is—you know, testing and vaccines are going to be the way out of this. To Biden's credit, he at least appears now to be, you know, really pushing that. The Atlantic had this great article. It was uh, called, I think I actually have it up right now. It was called, uh, we opened the school's end, dot, dot, dot. It was fine. Many parents feared the worst, but so far no widespread COVID crisis has come to America's classrooms. So look, um, you react, you look at the data, and apparently the data in this case really does not support uh, keeping these schools closed. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Washington, a government shutdown was averted at the last minute yet again. Congress passed a short-term funding bill that ensures the government will not shut down at midnight tonight. A handful of Republicans tried to delay passage of the spending bill in protest of the Biden administration's vax or test mandate for private businesses. But the push fizzled in the end. Does this mean we have to do this again in February? I don't know why they do these little <laughs> these, they do these little short term bills. It's like crazy. Uh, so yeah, this will keep the uh, government open through February 18th at the current levels of spending. Also, uh, it adds seven billion dollars to aid and resettle Afghan refugees. Um, so that's good because I think there was you know there was a lot of concern when we left Afghanistan that we were just leaving these people you know high and dry, which we kind of did. Um, but so we are at least putting our money where our mouth is where, where our mouth is and trying to to help them um, as they, you know, are are resettled across the country. The U.S. will restart the controversial Remain in Mexico immigration policy. It was instituted by the Trump administration 
And it comes after the White House reached a deal with the Mexican government. So as of next week, migrants who cross the southern border seeking asylum will be sent back to Mexico while their asylum claims are being processed. And this complicated uh, the Biden administration's plan to roll back that policy, which he has called inhumane. Yeah, this, uh, this, their, their hand was forced here. This was a court ruling uh, that forced the administration to essentially put this policy back into effect subject to Mexico's acceptance. Uh, Mexico had resisted uh, being a part of this, and then they agreed at the last minute so long as the United States sends aid to help shelter some of these people, some of these migrants, as they await that uh, that asylum processing. Uh, you know, it, it, it's a little cynical to say, but it's, you know, this is a blessing in disguise for the White House, uh, for President Biden, you know, because he can kind to say here that his hand was forced, um, but this policy will have a significant impact on depressing border crossings. And, you know, immigration is a major Achilles heel uh, for, for this administration, just if you look at, um, at polling. They're polling like 20% on immigration, I think. And the November jobs report's going to be released this morning, probably by the time you're listening to this podcast. The consensus among economists is uh, for a print of about 548,000 new jobs for the month, uh, with the unemployment rate expected to tick down to 4.5%. If that happens, it'll be the second month in a row with more than half a million payrolls added. After an uneasy summer, job growth actually has started to really gain steam in the fall. It has indeed. It's pretty wild, right? The distortions in in the labor market, I think, really can be boiled down to a, a fairly simple fact, which is that you know demand for workers is incredibly high, but the number of people actively looking for work has been depressed ever since the start of the pandemic for various reasons, right? COVID, childcare, uh, people, you know, taking the um, the stimulus money in the beginning, that's obviously less of a case now. Not the stimulus money. You know what I'm talking about, the uh, enhanced unemployment benefits. Uh, but the upshot of this is that wage growth has been coming in really hot, which is a, a very positive thing that I think doesn't really get its fair share of uh, media coverage. Um, you know, wages are going up, right? We're seeing that, you know, we're seeing that, you know, Amazon effectively creating a $15 minimum wage floor in this country, probably one of the biggest things that has happened this year. Um uh, and also, you know, just what we said the other day, which is that this is the best time since World War II for people in the job market, you know, especially if you're kind of like of our vintage, Jill, of our age group, um, and you were sort of in the beginning of your career in that really horrible job market to follow the financial crisis, um, uh, you know, you remember it was like it, you could it was hard. It was really hard to get a job for years after 2008. Um, so this is your chance. You know, this is your chance. Ask for that raise. Gamble on a new career path. Uh, make demands about, um, you know, working from home or benefits that you think that that you can get. Like every boss in America, I think, knows that their employees are all flight risks right now. So I think that that gives employees, us, uh, leverage that we've really never had before. Uh, I would agree, and I think I think it's a, a good thing in terms of workers. I'm curious what the number is today, the unemployment number in terms of how many Americans have been filing for unemployment benefits. That number is is at record low levels. Uh, two weeks ago, it was, it was the lowest it's been since 1969. It was 199,000 yeah. Americans filing for first-time claims. So that it's different than, than the jobs that are created, but at least companies are, are clearly not laying anybody off right now. Um Switching gears, there's a new feature coming to Zoom that's going to make it harder to sneak into a video call late 
without being noticed by the boss. It's called the attendance status tool, and it gives meeting hosts a way to use Google and Microsoft Calendar integration to keep track of everyone who's been invited to a call, as well as the ability to see exactly when they joined. Who asked for this, by the way? <laughs> <laughs> the bosses? Bob. Yeah, bosses, I guess. Uh, participants who have been invited uh, but haven't joined the call are actually going to be now prominently featured in a little column on the side that says not joined, uh, which will make it easy for people to see who is blowing off the meeting entirely. Uh, and the other thing that, that, that piqued my interest here, Zoom is going to start automatically updating all of its software. So um, a, an excuse that I admit I have used in the past, which is, sorry, I was late. I had to update my Zoom interface and restart the computer. So that, that will be much harder to pull off here. Um, but it's funny because I, I don't know about you, but in my experience, it's always the meeting host, right? It's always the manager who's actually late. I'm usually on time for, for meetings. It seems like it's the host that's usually the one who isn't. I, my prediction uh, is that they're going to change this feature because it's been my experience that a lot of people are invited to meetings and maybe don't need to be invited to them and, and or oh, yeah. are off on vacation or out sick or whatever it is. And yet they're just on the calendar invite. I've set up meetings before where I invite probably more people than need to come just because it's like, OK, if you want to join this meeting, you know, if we're having a meeting yeah. about the podcast and sometimes you just cast a wide net and send out a bunch of invites because you think people may want to join and have ideas. But you're not like expecting everybody to join then so their pictures are going to be up on the side of the Zoom, kind of like invited but hasn't joined, you know, hasn't joined. I think that that's right. I don't know. I, I, I don't <laughs> I don't I, I understand the goal, but I don't know if it's going to achieve it. Yeah. Public well, shaming, uh, that, that, basically public shaming. Yes. Yes, exactly. It's a Zoom narking. Uh, but, it's you know, that also happens in real life. Right. I mean, how many times have you been in a meeting in a conference room and been like, why is this guy here? He doesn't need to be here. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and people walk in late to meet to meetings in person and people also don't show up to meetings in person either. Uh, okay. Right. Alec Baldwin telling ABC news George Stephanopoulos in an emotional interview that aired last night that he did not pull the trigger of the gun that killed cinematographer Helena Hutchins Baldwin saying that someone is responsible for her death, but that it is not him. It was a fascinating interview. It was, I thought it was actually very, uh, poorly marketed by ABC News. It was really kind of like uh, over the top. I mean, th this is how TV does these sort of primetime interviews, but it was just kind of, I mean, somebody died here and just the way it was like being uh, promoted kind of like rubbed me the wrong way. But it wasn't, it was a, a, a fascinating interview. Investigators in this case, by the way, we haven't talked about this in a while. They seem to have zeroed in on that film, Rust, uh, Ammo Supplier, this New Mexican company. They executed a, a search warrant at its office earlier this week. The theory seems to be here that someone from that uh, ammo supplier may have accidentally sent out live bullets along with that prop gun. Um, again, you know, this story is just a case of like how many possible things could go wrong right at, at once. Um, but if you're wondering how Baldwin could argue that he didn't pull the trigger and that the gun still went off, which of course was my first question when I saw him say this the other day, um, you know, I did a little bit of uh, research into firearms, which, of course, I acknowledge is not something that's really in my bailiwick. I don't really know much about guns. Um, so what I've learned is, you know, modern guns make it impossible to go off without the trigger being depressed. 
um, that, you know, it's like a modern safety thing. Uh, but the gun in question here was a replica of an antique Colt 45 revolver. So conceivably, it seems to be that it could have malfunctioned and the hammer could have come down without the trigger being pulled. So I think I'm sure the investigation will look into this. But what he's saying is not like, you know, there was like, it, he's not arguing that like there was somebody there was a second shooter like JFK style. Right. He's <laughs> right, just saying right. that He picked up the gun and somehow it went off without the trigger being depressed. So the ammo supplier is vehemently denying that that they would have sent a live round without, you know, that instead of instead of what what they should have sent, because they are they were saying that they have very strict protocols in place where they basically shake the bullet each one. uh, And you can hear the difference um, between a live round and one that's not a live round. So they are they're coming out and saying that's absolutely not true. Another thing that I thought was interesting from from the Baldwin interview, I mean, there were a couple it it was a a pretty fascinating interview. Uh, One of the things he said, we've been talking so much about just workplace safety on that set. Um, He said he was really unaware that there were any issues, Um, whether that's true or not. I don't know. But he said the the most he had heard were complaints from the crew just about their hotel. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, it's possible that those safety issues don't reach his level like that. You know, he's not necessarily in the loop on on everything. Um, But he also said that it was the movie that this movie made him love movie making again. You know, he said he'd been in the industry for a really long time. And it was like the first time in a while that he's been really he kind of fell back in love with with film and movie making. Before he killed that woman, presumably. Yes, obviously. (laughs) Um, it, well, look, it's just uh, a, a tragedy all around. I mean, it's it, yeah. it's heartbreaking that that somebody lost their lives, uh, their life. It's, it's it's so unnecessary. He said he's not even going to do any movie. Forget with a, a movie that has a real gun. He said he's not doing a movie that has a gun ever again. Yeah, um, I don't blame him. All right, time for a little more to know before we go. Michigan prosecutors could decide as early as today to charge the parents of that teenage boy who allegedly shot and killed four classmates at his high school this week. That school, Oxford High, remaining closed, and a large vigil is planned in the town tonight. The sheriff also says they've recovered the shooter's journal which shows evidence that he planned to carry out the attack. By the way, tons of schools, about dozens of schools in Michigan, uh, basically had to close for this entire week because they were getting also threats of shooting. That always happens after this, these cop, these copycat threats, which is it's so who imagine just imagine that imagine waking up and being like, I'm going to call in a like bomb threat to a school in a district that's dealing with the fallout from a school shooting. Like how how messed up in the head do you have to be for that? Uh, by the way, I, I just I, I, I watched a local news report last night that just put me almost in tears with the parents in that school district talking about how their young their young kids, their elementary and middle school kids are just terrified to go back uh, to the classroom. It's just so heartbreaking. Uh, okay, an update on the Galen Maxwell uh, trial here. Her defense attorneys today expected to challenge the account of a former uh, Jeffrey Epstein employee who testified yesterday that he drove two girls who he believed to be uh, underage to that late financier's Palm Beach estate. If you're interested in this trial, I uh, highly recommend following the journalist Vicki Ward. Um, she's got a she's in the courtroom uh, every day and she's got a substack uh, that she's doing from the courtroom. And her takeaway is that uh, the government is blowing this case and that Maxwell could easily uh, walk and that her, her defense is actually putting up a very uh, very good case so far. BuzzFeed's going public. The media company known for its journalism 
and quizzes will debut on the NASDAQ on Monday via a SPAC merger. BuzzFeed raised about $16 million from the deal that is far less than anticipated and a not great sign for the health of the digital media space. Yeah, BuzzFeed employees actually walked out of the job yesterday uh, as this was happening. Um, but yes, whoo, 16 million, that's not good. Okay, well, it's early December here, and uh, it doesn't feel like it across much of the country. If you've looked outside lately, there's virtually no snow on the ground anywhere in the United States. Um, it was a record 91 degrees in Palm Springs on Wednesday. It's been seven in the 70s in uh Denver and the Great Plains, it's so unseasonably warm and dry. Firefighters have been battling late season blazes across the prairies of Montana that have taken out a lot of uh, small farms and, um, you know, homes. Luckily, nobody has died. But, you know, wildfires in Montana in December, obviously not something you're used to seeing. Hulu has pulled a new special about the Astroworld concert disaster. Uh, off the streaming platform after a fierce backlash on social media. The special was called Astroworld Concert from Hell and recapped the deadly stampede at the Travis Scott show last month that left 10 people dead. Hulu has clarified that the 50-minute special was produced by the ABC affiliate in Houston, not by Hulu itself, but yet has taken it off the platform to avoid confusion. All of that could have been avoided if they just didn't call it Concert from Hell. I mean, like, Really? That's so tacky. Uh, and finally, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia just became the longest-running live-action sitcom in uh, United States television history. The FX series that started back in 2005 when I was in college just debuted its 15th season this week. That means that it overtakes uh, Ozzy and Harriet to claim the throne as longest-running sitcom. The Always Sunny gang still miles, though, from taking the uh, throne for longest-running sitcom if animated series are included because The Simpsons, which is still on television somehow, currently in its 33rd season. All right, time for a little love, hate, eight. Okay, one thing we love, and I think I mentioned this the other day, but just mass unsubscribing from all of the marketing emails that you've been added to over the past uh, uh, over the past year, Cyber Week or Cyber Monday, whatever they call this uh, time, when every store in the world, every store that you've ever even thought about, sends you five emails a day about their sales, is the perfect opportunity to do this. Just go boop 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 boop, unsubscribe, unsubscribe, and you can even—I don't know about you, but I also get these SMS texts now. Uh, from like I don't, companies I've never even heard of or signed up for, and I just stop, stop, just text back stop, and they put take you off the list. One thing that we hate, trying to open those little plastic produce bags at the supermarket. <laughs> even worse, watching other people lick their fingers to open the bags before they touch all of the produce. I never can figure out which side you're supposed to open. Um, <laughs> it is quite frustrating. <laughs> I actually, I never use those bags. Well, you know what? I I rarely use them. I use them for How, tomatoes. What but do you I don't, use? I usually just throw the produce in the in the cart. Is that weird? <laughs> yeah. Um, but it, you, first of all, you should never Men. use those bags. No, I'm kidding. Yeah, yeah. You should never use those bags for things like avocados and bananas because they're they already have like an like a protection. They have a little shell. They don't need them. Uh, and finally, uh, one thing that we ate. The last of my Thanksgiving turkey, uh, which I finished by Monday night, just in time to be within the, the uh, U.S. Department of Agriculture's rule of thumb for refrigerated leftovers. They say that you can eat your turkey, you can eat all your leftovers, but you make sure you finish it by Monday after Thanksgiving. All right. Uh, news you can use. Uh, that is what <laughs> you need to know for Friday, December 3rd. Okay, guys. See you on YouTube. Jill, we will miss you. I will talk to you. And um, have a great weekend, everybody. <laughs>